Welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. My name is Ronan Kavanagh, Deputy Editor of VI New Energy, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Energy Intelligence Editorial Director, Peter Kemp, to share some insights into the top trends to watch in 2021, picked by our team of experts. Hi, Peter. Thank you for coming along today. Hi, Ronan. Now, when let's cast our mind back. When we did this exercise a year ago, we said 2020 would be tumultuous for the energy transition. I mean, we didn't really know how tumultuous a year it was going to end up being. Well, indeed, an extraordinary year. And this year has begun with a, a continuum rather than a, a clean break. Uh, COVID is still rampant. Um, vaccines are, are coming on now. But if we look to the economy and the state of global relations, um, a firm economic recovery is still not apparent. Um, but we must contrast the uncertainty and the fragility with, with the hopes that 2020 engendered that the coming decade could indeed be transformational. There was a big, big sort of change in people's attitudes to the things that mattered, including climate change. Um, and indeed, this decade must be transformational if, if the Paris goal of keeping the rise in, in global temperatures below two degrees Celsius is to have any chance of success. And that's a very big deal for this year. Indeed. And I mean, looking at the US presidential, which was one of the big stories last year, and it's going to remain so this year, I mean, with the inauguration of President-elect Biden imminent, um, climate is top of the agenda for the incoming administration. But should we expect a clean energy revolution? Well, um, everything changed last Tuesday, Wednesday. I say that because what happened in Georgia has changed the calculus about what's possible in Washington. Uh, the fact that the Democrats now have control of the White House, the House of Representatives, and uh, contingent on the presence of the vice president casting the casting vote, uh, the Senate as well, which puts them in a very, very strong position to push forward with serious, significant new legislation. Without controlling uh, Congress, um, the Biden administration will be much more uh, dependent on using regulations and little tweaks um, and executive orders to push things in terms of clean energy. Um, but the ambition is boundless. Uh, the $2 trillion clean energy revolution that was outlined during the campaign has many elements which uh, could be pushed through by mobilizing the Environmental Protection Agency, for example, and using the Clean Air Act more forcibly, um, or using the Department of the Interior to, to ban or severely restrict uh, new oil and gas leasing on, on federal lands, for example, even though those would face legal challenges, which might mute their impact. But the big issue will be, can the Biden administration frame significant clean energy legislation and get that through Congress. And the odds are infinitely better than they were just a week ago as a result of those results from Georgia. And transport is a key area to watch in this, isn't it? I mean, what are you expecting to see there? Well, within the clean air energy revolution, clearly there are things that can be done on fuel economy standards, which were um, loosened or relaxed under the Trump administration. Those can be tightened. Um, we can expect to see major investments in, in EV charging. Um, 
which will aid the uptake of, of hybrid and, and, and full battery EVs, which only took 2% of sales in, in, in the latter part of, of last year in the US versus nearly 10% in Europe and, and over 7% in China. Um, we can see innovations um, on the battery side, for example. I mean, General Motors is going to be rolling out uh, a series of new vehicles with very long range batteries based on on different chemistries that are going to be very powerful and affordable. Um, and they'll be certainly on the sort of consumer choice side in the transportation sector, there'll be much, much more uh, available to uh, tweak consumer interests. Um, and one big area, um, again, if the administ new administration can get through a big second stimulus package with money directed specifically towards um, the construction of uh, a charging network, for example, for EVs, that could have a very, very mul significant multiplier effect on, on uptake of EVs in the transportation sector. And we clearly, as well as the US being very important in, in, in the climate agenda, I mean, all eyes are on China too. And I mean, how be Beijing plans to deliver it, it, its pledge of carbon neutrality will become clearer this year with, with guidelines released in March. W what should we look out for? What should we expect here? Well, March will be a, a sort of broad brush declaration for the next five years. Uh, and, and I'm advised that over the month, subsequent months, we can expect another further series of sector specific uh, proposals um, for the power sector, for example. Um, but what has already been made clear in the um, in, in the early declarations running running into uh, the big March uh, declaration is that coal will remain the basic energy source uh, in China. Uh, it remains a, a, a centerpiece of their uh, power sector, and that will be the case going forward. Um, what they might do to mitigate the, um, the emissions from coal, uh, CCS on a big scale perhaps, uh, remains to be seen. But coal is going to remain a, a core part of, of, of China's uh, energy platform uh, which does pose challenges for uh, bringing down bringing down emissions to to net zero by by 2060 there's no getting away from that and looking at the kind of broader picture i mean the european union has has, has been a longer climate leader and it's a big year to here isn't it for, for eu climate and energy policy indeed i mean the um the eu has uh, indicated it's going to revise the renewable energy directive um, shake up taxation, uh, establish a green bond standard. Um, now, this is all in support of the new 2030 target of getting greenhouse gas emissions down uh, by 55% from 1990 levels. Um, in the transport sector, the uh, ETS, the emissions trading system, could be extended um, to include maritime road transport. Um, and we can expect tighter emission rules coming in to accelerate the phase out of, of conventional uh, gasoline and diesel vehicles as well. Um, a key thing will be the controversial proposal for a carbon border adjustment mechanism. Um, this would be some sort of tax imposed on non-EU states uh, supplying into the EU, which have less rigorous uh, regulations on controlling emissions. It's on the table for discussion. But the aim is to pull all these proposals uh, together, um, discuss them during the first half of the year, 
within the Commission and within the member states um, come together in June and hammer out a common platform so that by November, uh, when COP26 is due to convene in Glasgow, uh, the EU will have a, a common platform. COP26, I mean, you mentioned that one of the big, important um, gatherings this year, and perhaps the most important since the um, 2015 Paris Agreement. I mean, ambition is, is high in the agenda here with, with the move to kind of make people go further. But there's still some unfinished business to deal with. Can you tell us about that? Well, there's, uh, as you know well, Ronan, there's a, there's a key sort of part of the, the mechanicals here. It's all very well, countries... Um, declaring ambitious goals, but how do we make it work on a global scale? Um, and one of the key things here is resolving Article 6, which um, would provide a framework and rules for, for this global cooperation um, in cutting carbon by integrating, using trading, linking carbon markets, um, and devising a UN-backed offset mechanism. The UN Forum is also going to look to reinforce um, environmental, social and government factors, isn't it, Peter? I mean, we've seen the impact of this on in European majors so far. But will US companies also face these pressures going forward? Well, yes. I mean, ESG now is on everybody's radar. There's no further question about that. Um, what we could see in the US is new um, federal policies to, to, to mitigate ESG risks within the financial system. Um, now, this would reinforce the trend. Um, and a key thing here would be climate risk disclosure, which could become mandatory um, for all, all companies in their financial reporting. Um, on the investor side, they may investors may also be required to incorporate ESG and climate risk climate risk considerations into their decision making and show that um, this would all deepen a shift that's already underway um, as more companies now from JP Morgan Chase, which took the decision last year to no longer fund fossil fuels, or on in the oil and gas sector, Occidental Petroleum. Um, targeting carbon neutrality. Um, very, very ambitious for an oil and gas company. Um, now, everybody, all players right across the board now are realigning their strategies around the Paris goals. So we certainly can expect more progress in this direction with the wider rollout and adoption and integration of ESG and climate risk disclosure into uh, financial markets and everything that goes on there. And looking at what this might mean for the companies, I mean, CO2 removal is, is still fairly embryonic, carbon capture, reforestation. Um, but do, are we looking at, at, at a reduction in oil and gas production for the industry? I mean, basically, will more oil companies reveal plans to exit oil and gas production? Well, as you say, um, carbon capture and storage, um, natural solutions like reforestation have been uh, talked about a lot this year by oil companies as a way of offsetting their emissions. But is is it really game over? Is it too late for that? Um, well, will oil companies exit oil and gas production? Well, ultra low cost producers such as Saudi Aramco um, are going to be in no hurry to do that for very obvious reasons. But most international oil companies, um, including in the US, do need to devise credible retreat plans, as one of our correspondents uh, describes it. Um, now, BP has announced a target to cut its fossil fuel production by 40% over the coming decades, starting with from 2019 
through to 90, uh, sorry, through to 2030. Um, now that's the biggest, boldest effort so far from any of the majors. Um, not much detail. We'll we'll be getting more detail during the course of this year. So there is pressure on its peers to um, catch up, to um, devise plans um, along similar lines, and certainly control their long-standing uh, ambition to just continue to grow their oil production. Um, and they might have to think twice about their plans to grow gas as well, because long-term assumptions that gas demand is just going to continue to grow for decades to come are now being questioned. Um, this is because the shift to renewable energy um, is now so dramatic and so sustained um, that the oil companies themselves uh, see renewable energy as a way to continue growing and thriving. Um, and more and more investors are coming to find that an acceptable option. But when it comes to long-term oil and gas production, renewables alone will not alter absolute emissions. So this is simply reinforcing the company's need to, to address their oil and gas emissions, you know, head on. Indeed, and renewables is one of the ways they're looking to do that. And, and we're seeing the costs there have, have been tumbling, driving forward this energy transition. I mean, are they on the way now to being just unbeatable? Well, what we did see this year, uh, year just ended, was that um, combined cycle gas turbines did reclaim the crown um, and indeed were the cheapest new power source uh, in 2020. But this was because there was an awful lot of gas trying to find a market and gas was very cheap. Um, in reality, um, big picture, step back and look at things in the round over, over a period of years. Um, solar photovoltaic cells, onshore wind and increasingly offshore wind um, are going to become harder and harder uh, to beat on cost. Um, in the US, where we've had the shale gas revolution, uh, gas is expected to be displaced by onshore wind and solar uh, before the end of the decade even in areas where with low levels of sunshine and 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 and, and mediocre wind conditions um, batteries are getting bigger and cheaper this will improve the supply demand management uh, of renewable intermittency extend extending the hours of renewable operation um, now there was a time i mean just just think just think how things have changed there was a time when People wondered whether it was going to be feasible to have more than 20% of, of, of renewables in a power system. That is no longer in question. We've had, we're, we're hitting 40, 50% in, in some power systems. And the debate now is really whether the target should be a 100% mix of wind, solar, and hydro, um, aided and abetted, of course, by smart grid management, batteries uh, to iron out the kinks in supply. I mean, a real sea change in, in power supply there. I suppose if companies can't beat it, they, they might as well join it. And offshore wind, it's often pointed to as one of the areas big oil could find a really good fit. I mean, do you think we'll see more companies focusing on this area? Well, we've seen very clearly um, Total and, uh, and, and BP have been uh, unequivocal about their interest in uh, uh, renewable energy and Offshore wind is, is, is a sector with huge growth potential, um, and the European majors are, are certainly very active in that area already. We saw a, uh, a big thrust uh, last year. They expanded beyond Europe. They're already very, very interested in, in, in the US, which has a, um, a massive onshore wind sector. 
Um, but there are new op new opportunities there potentially, and there are uh, opportunities opening up in Asia, which uh, the oil companies have been very interested in. Now they're partnering up with with established players, um, and who knows? They may also be interested in in M and A opportunities to to buy a slice of the offshore wind. Um, business to um, have that as an asset on their books. Um, and momentum is with them. I mean, costs are continuing to fall. Uh, finance is cheap. Um, and they've got the capital to mobilize to bid very aggressively for supply contracts. Um, they could be, they've got their offshore skills from the offshore oil and deep, deep water offshore oil and gas business that they've been involved in for many decades. Um, they could deploy that on offshore wind projects. They could be the owners, majority owners, they could manage the construction. Um, Europe, huge growth potential, US a strong market, and Asia, great potential coming along as well. Indeed. Now let's look beyond you know, the renewable power technologies. And, and last year, we, we suggested hydrogen was poised to come of age. I think we kind of certainly saw a lot more discussion about that over the year and some plans. But do you think it can move beyond this? I mean, is this just hype in, in, in hydrogen? Well, hydrogen has really come to, to the fore this year um, and is now deemed essential, uh, indispensable to help balance and store the growing volumes of, of intermittent renewable power being generated um, when the grid can't absorb all the solar energy or the wind energy coming down the line hydrogen, green hydrogen, is a perfect solution. Um, it's also, I mean, hydrogen is seen as having huge potential to decarbonize hard to, to decarbonize industries, um, such, as, uh, such as heavy, and in heavy transport as well. Um, the big issue is scaling it up. I mean, we know the technology works. Um, green hydrogen produced from electrolyzing uh, water using renewable power. Um, nobody's actually doing it yet at scale. Um, and also creating the, the actual demand. That's important. There, there are sort of interesting straws in the wind there. Um, big truck makers are accelerating their work on, on developing hydrogen fuel cell models for, for long distance trucking, which could be zero emissions over uh, massive distances and building up the fuel cell uh, filling stations. Those are appearing, um, albeit slowly. Um, and of course, the oil majors are very keen on blue hydrogen. This is um, derived from steam methane reforming uh, using natural gas um, and allied with CCS. Uh, they like it, but the costs are very high and there are still very very few instances of it being applied so that's a bit of a bit of bit of a cinderella solution there um, but green uh, hydrogen derived from uh, electrolysis sorry electrolysis with 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 uh, renewable power uh, does seem to have many many key, more keen adv advocates now than it had uh, just a year or two ago and i think we're going to see some serious action in that area Indeed. And I mean, you talked about CCS there, but I mean, it's been around for a long time and struggled to get going. Just briefly in the time we have left, could you, could you say, I mean, do you think that it will reach the economies of scale? 
Well, it, 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 it does have a place, certainly in, in, in some of the plans we're seeing. Um, it has a use um, with large emitters, for example. If you've got a cluster of industries, cement, steel making, chemicals, for example, in a specific location, um, for example, around the North Sea, there are a number of potential projects where um, carbon could be captured from these large industries uh, and stored in depleted oil reservoirs offshore and a number of oil companies are involved in those projects um, certainly at the feasibility stage um, but as i've just mentioned um, it does seem to be losing out to um, when, when it in you know blue blue hydrogen which is 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 the other great opportunity for ccs does seem to be losing out to uh, uh, green hydrogen powered by uh, powered by renewable energy which means that the the oil companies' hopes of, of extending the life of their very substantial gas holdings um, by selling a lot of gas and then um, burying the emissions through, through CCS does seem to be a sort of very limited opportunity um, because renewables and green energy are going to displace that um, and the costs of it remain elevated, if not prohibitive. Yes, indeed. And I mean, and certainly this year is going to be interesting in terms of how all of these technologies and the energy transition advance. Um, thank you very much, Peter, for coming and sharing those insights with us today. My pleasure. And I'd like to finally just say thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. We hope you found this interesting and that you'll join us again for the next Energy Transition podcast. Thanks for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com.